Hey everyone, welcome to Good Wolf Radio. It's Jerry Scarlato, founder and fitness coach of Thrivology in Alexandria, Kentucky. Today, we're going to start talking about aging, which I know is most people's favorite topic because we like to think about how it's going to be when we get older and we like to think about how decrepit we're going to be as we age and we like to think about how our bodies are going to fall apart and all of that fun stuff. Of course, I hope you're catching on to my extreme sarcasm. Aging is actually one of my favorite topics, and it's not because of all of the things I said just a second ago. It's because all of the things I said just a second ago are usually made up and are usually products of a lot of different factors that are either causing you to age faster or convincing you that you should be a certain way. What we're going to see throughout the duration of this series is we're going to see that age isn't just aging. It's not just getting older. There are different components to it or dimensions as they'll be called or as we'll call them. And there are a bunch of different factors that go into how we age. There are a number of different social factors, a number of different environmental behavioral factors. There's all kinds of components that play into how we age. So aging is not simply aging. If you look up the definition of aging, what you'll find is a noun definition and an adjective definition. A noun definition is the process of growing older, older. The adjective definition is becoming older, older. And that's how most people think of aging. It is just getting older, older. And in the events that you don't do a whole lot with your physical body to keep it functioning at a high level. That's what's happening is you're getting older, older, and your body is getting older, older. But the Stoic philosopher Seneca said that aging, aging is when we live nobly. A lot of us think that we're going to live forever and we live in such a way that we think we're going to live forever. We eat in such a way, we drink in such a way, we party in such a way that we think we're going to live forever until we get to the point where we're like, holy crap, we're not going to live forever. Um, in which case you can still do something about it. So there's not, I don't want to say there's never, I'm sure there's some point for some people, but there's rarely a point where it's like, oh crap, well, I guess I can't do anything about it at this point. Any, just about any stage in your life, whether you're 9, 19, or 90, like you can do something about your health. But Seneca tells us that aging is, is living nobly. It is, it is living in such a way that you are respecting your body so that you can get the most out of it. Um, so with that being said, there are four dimensions of aging. Now, if you looked up dimensions of aging, you may, the phone, spam's calling. Oh, it's not spam. We'll let Travis pick it up. Um, you can mute it. Yeah. Sorry. If you're calling and you're watching this, we apologize. We had to mute you. Um, nonetheless, sorry for the sidetrack. We are in a business in an organization where the phone does ring. So my apologies for the interruption. At any rate, back on track, there are four dimensions of aging that we're going to review. If you look up dimensions of aging, you may find more, but we're going to just kind of narrow them down into basic four basic categories. 
Um, one is chronological age. Two, biological age. We also have psychological age, and then we have social aging. Okay, so four dimensions of aging. Chronological aging is exactly what it sounds like. It is the number of years that you've been on this earth, or the number of days or months or however you want to count it. Most people count years, not days or months. So chronological age is that. And for most people, we believe our aging is based primarily on our cryological age. In other words, we believe that how our bodies function, um, how our heart functions, how our liver functions, how our brain functions, we believe it's primarily based on chronological age. In other words, if I've been on earth for 60 years, I should be a different, I should be a specific way. I should be, I should have some level, this level of deterioration. I should be whatever, whatever you, you currently believe that that number means. That's how many of us tend to believe aging is. Biological age is, or biological aging is what your body does on the inside. In other words, it is the aging of your heart, the aging of your lungs, the aging of your physiological processes. And those are technically aging at a different rate than you may be aging chronologically. You can chronologically be 60, but biologically be 50. And this is, has, has been proven to be so. Then we have psychological age. Psychological age, of course, is what happens with your nervous system and brain as you age. Uh, psychological aging basically refers to your mental capacities, your ability to communicate and that kind of thing. Um, again, someone can have a different psychological age, a different biological age, and a different chronological age based on just different parameters. And then finally, we have social aging. Social aging is basically how you're represented within your social structure, be that with your family, your friends, or your community, and how you interact and are, like I said, kind of maneuver yourself through your social structure. And for much of society, at least much of American society, that social structure for people who are aging is usually not very, how do I say, um, not very well thought, if you will. Most people don't think about aging as a good social outcome because what we do with people who quote unquote age or get beyond a certain age, what we do with them, that's a terrible way to put it, but I guess it's, it is what it is. What we do with them is we put them in places. We, we have old people homes. We have old people facilities. We have old people hospitals. We have all of those things. That's where we put people whenever we don't feel like we know either what to do with them or we don't feel like we're able to take care of them or they're able to take care of themselves or whatever. And a lot of that is simply based around the number of years they've been on this earth, whether or not they can function highly or not. So um, at any rate, we're going to see what that looks like and see what kind of impact that has on our aging as individuals, on our aging as a society uh, moving forward. So let's look at aging from two perspectives. Chronological age, there's not a whole lot we can do about. 
I guess technically, if you wanted to, you could shorten the amount of years or stop the amount of years that you want to be on this earth. That's up to you. Uh, and it's not that kind of podcast. So chronological age, not a lot you can do about. Biological age, there's a lot we can do about. Psychological age, there, is a, there are a number of things we can do, but we can cover most of that within social aging. So what we're going to do is base the rest of our conversation around biological aging and around social, social aging. Today, we'll cover biological aging, and in the next episode, we will talk about social aging. So when it comes to biological aging, this is what represents, this is our body represents our, uh, from outside looking in, if you look at somebody, you're basically seeing the representation of their biological age, if you will. Your biological age is expressed, if you will, through your human cells. If you look at your fingers, your toes, your ears, your eyes, and all that, just a bunch of human cells expressing themselves in the way that they're either supposed to or trying to or whatever. Um, and all of that is expressed in some way, shape, or form through what's going on inside of you. So there are two basic regulators of the expression of human genes. One is the human genome, your genes inside of you. The other one is called the epigenome, which we'll go over after we go over the genome. So the genome or your genes are what are given to you at birth. They are what define the color of your eyes, how tall you become, the color of your hair, and all of that good stuff. But they also regulate, in a way, how you age. If your heart's going to last as long as the average person, uh, how well you can process dairy, uh, all kinds of different things your genes help regulate. So the genome is the entire set of DNA instructions found in a cell. So very quickly, let's go over some basic biology. Very quickly. So a human cell, you can think of as a circle. Inside of that circle, you can think of another circle as the cell nucleus. Inside of the cell nucleus are these things called chromosomes. Chromosomes are X-shaped structures, loosely put. And there's a bunch of them. And those chromosomes are made up of genes. If you started to pull the chromosomes apart, if you will, think of it as a piece of yarn and you're pulling the piece of yarn apart into tiny little threads. Those tiny little threads are gene sequences. And within the genes, if you break it down even more, are pieces and bits of DNA, little tiny bits of DNA. Okay. So we have the human cell inside the cell is the nucleus inside the nucleus are chromosomes chromosomes, if pulled apart, again, this is very loosely put, um, because my brain has a very basic understanding of it anyway, but if chromosomes are pulled apart, then you have genes and genes are made up of DNA sequences. DNA is then made up of four compounds. They're represented by letters. If you ever look at a DNA structure online or anything like that, those letters are A, G, I have it in front of me, sorry. A, G, T, and C. A stands for adenine. G stands for guanine. 
T stands for thymine and C stands for cysteine. So all DNA in your body is made up of those four letters, if you will. Now, of course, if you looked at a microscope, they would not be letters per se. I want to make that very clear, but nonetheless, they are those four compounds. And based on the structure and sequence of those compounds, then that's how you become the person that you are to an extent. So different DNA sequences lead to the creation of specific proteins, which lead to the expression of physical traits and biological development. Okay. When a gene is expressed, it means it is turned on. In other words, it is showing itself. It is showing its function. So when you were born with blue eyes, the blue eye genes inside of you showed themselves as blue eye genes. As you age, if you become lactose intolerant, the lactose intolerant genes inside of you express themselves or turn on and make you not be able to consume dairy products. Okay, um, so that is a basic overview, like I said, very basic overview of genes and basically how they regulate what's going on with you. They regulate your physical, how you look physically and then how you age biologically. So to go along with the genome, that's one part. The other part of this regulator of human cell expression is the epigenome. Epi stands for on top of, so literally epigenome means on top of the genome. The epigenome, if you will, regulates genes. It, to an extent, it's called what marks or modifies genes. It tells them what to do, when to do, and where to do it, to an extent. Um, so, literally, they, the epigenome turns certain genes on, turns certain genes off. So, it, it tells some genes to express themselves or tells other genes to not express themselves. And it is the combination of these two things. Now, this is very basic. Of course, there's tons of things that play a part in this. But it is, it is your genome, the genes that you're born with, and then the epigenome on top of that, that regulate how your body ages. So the epigenome, just to clarify a little more, uh, chemical compounds that, again, modify or mark the genome in a way that tells them what to do, when to do it, and where to do it. Okay? Um, so it's not genes. Genes are a very specific thing. Uh, epigenome, also specific things, but it's a, it's a, they're chemical compounds that, that attach to or modify genes in such a way that they, it tells them what to do. It tells them whether or not to age you faster or slower in a, in a, in a certain way. Okay. Um, so with that basic understanding of if I look at you and I see, or you look at me and you see wrinkles and you see blue eyes, um, or you see me, you know, maybe I, like I said, I just, I have a hard time processing dairy or something like that. All of that is based on around those two ideas. The genes that you have, that you were born with, and the epigenome that modifies the genes that you have. 
So if we take that understanding, then we can look at why we age. We can look at, from a biological standpoint, why do we age to begin with? So there are three prevailing theories on why we age. There are, again, tens, twenties, of, tons of theories about why we age, but a number of them can be compressed together, can be put into certain categories. Um, but I've, there were three prevailing theories that stuck out as to why we age. So we're going to cover those, and we're going to see how they play a part in this gene epigenome expression idea. And at the end of this, we're going to see how we can use all of this to help us maybe age differently, um, maybe change the path that we're down so that we can fulfill our physical expression a little better. So the first theory that we're going to go over, and this is uh, the theory that's been around the longest, not the longest, but it's, it's been around for a long time. It's called the free radical theory. It's also known as the oxidative damage theory. Um, that's because the, as the theory goes, these things called reactive oxygen species or ROS, um, as the theory says, that reactive oxygen, ox, oxygen species are a thing, so that's not a theory. What the theory says is that these ROS cause aging by stealing electrons from molecules and making those dysfunctional. Those molecules then try to steal electrons from other molecules. And over time, this leads to the cell becoming dysfunctional. And then eventually that cell becomes what is called senescent. Senescent, a senescent cell is essentially a dead cell. In other words, it's not functioning anymore. And as the body accumulates those, it becomes a problem. So this idea of oxidative damage brought about the popularity of antioxidants. Okay, I'm sure all of us have heard of antioxidants. Well, antioxidants are meant to um, reduce the impact of oxidants, of this basic process to an extent, so that your cells don't become damaged, so that they don't become senescent, they don't die, and the body doesn't start to accumulate these senescent cells, which then could lead to cancers and other issues. The issue with the theory is that, to an extent, some oxidants are actually important. The reactive oxygen species that we talked about, that kind of is based around the theory, um, it's been shown that, to an extent, ROS is uh, important for the signaling of, of molecules in the body, and also some antioxidants have been shown to be detrimental especially in high doses, which a lot of us try to take antioxidants in high doses. Some of them can be detrimental. Some of them are very beneficial. Vitamin C has been pretty consistently been shown to be beneficial in a lot of ways. But on average, antioxidants have not been shown to be the thing that is keeping us or slowing down our aging at in, to any significant degree. They're helpful. They are certainly useful for immune function, but the theory just hasn't played out the way that whoever originally thought of it, there's phone ringing again, 
whoever originally thought of it thought it was going to pan out. So the free radical theory is one way that we can look at that, but probably it's not the main way that we're aging. While we do want to slow down the development of senescent cells, which plays a part in these other theories as well, um, it's probably using this pathway, the oxidative damage pathway, is probably not the way we're going to do it. Taking a bunch of antioxidants is not going to keep us from, uh, from aging or slow down our aging to any significant degree. The second theory that we're going to go over is called the DNA damage theory. So this theory says that as we age, cell cellular repair functions that fix DNA start to break down, which leads to damage to the cell, which leads to dysfunctional cell human cells, which leads to, again, cellular senescence or cell death. So in other words, the DNA inside the cell, DNA breaks happen regularly. It sounds like a bad thing, but it's something that happens in your body probably millions of times a day, I'm sure. Um, the repair functions that help fix the DNA breaks and other errors of the DNA, this theory says those repair functions start to, start to stop working. I don't know why I said it that way. They stop working over time, and because they stop working over time, the cells start to become dysfunctional because the DNA is broken. And when the cells become so dysfunctional to a degree, they become senescent or they die. Uh, this seems to be probably the one of the main reasons why we age, which leads us to the last theory that we're going to cover, which is kind of an extension of that DNA damage theory. The last theory we're going to cover is called the information theory, it's also known as the epigenetic theory. So if we go back to the beginning of our conversation, where we talked about the genome and the epigenome as the main regulators of how our human cells are expressed. When a gene is expressed, it creates what are called proteins. This is not protein that you eat. It is proteins that are created created within the body. In order for a gene to, quote, express itself or turn on, enzymes must bind to the gene, or I'm sorry, the DNA, in order for that to happen. When, where epigenetics comes into play is compounds can modify whether enzymes can bind to that gene or not causing them to turn on or turn off, if you will. One of those compounds are called methyl groups. Basically what happens, if you can imagine a methyl as like a little fruit fly, a methyl group comes and attaches itself to a piece of DNA and it prevents enzymes from binding to it, which means that it causes it to turn off or stay off. So if you can think of that fruit fly going and attaching onto a piece of DNA, that tells the enzyme, nope, I'm not going to go attach to that DNA. I'm going to go to attach to some other DNA and express another gene cell. The methyl group keeps that from happening. That is called methylation, DNA methylation. 
when a DNA is methylated, then it is turned off. When it is demethylated, then it is turned on. So with the information theory, what the information theory does or the epigenetic theory does is takes the DNA damage idea. DNA damage theory, remember, tells us that DNA become damaged inside of a cell. The cell eventually comes dysfunctional and then it eventually, eventually dies. What the epigenetic theory does on top of that is basically says, yes, but that's all regulated by, not all, but it's primarily, primarily regulated by the epigenome, which can be regulated by other factors than just genetics. So what are the primary factors that regulates the epigenome? In other words, what are the primary things that causes those things like methyl groups to attach to a piece of DNA and tell it to turn on or off? Well, interestingly enough, they are environmental factors and they are behavioral factors. In other words, the things that primarily regulate the epigenome are things that we do or places, things that we're surrounded with or things that we're constantly, um, we're constantly involved in. So if we work at a job where we work with toxins regularly, that environment, that toxic environment will change uh, our epigenome and how our epigenome turns on or off genes. Whereas if we live in an environment that is out in the woods and out in nature, it's going to be much different. Our genes will express themselves differently because the epigenome will tell our genes to do different things. So here's the more interesting part. After all of that, um, most people tend to believe that how we age is based primarily on our genes and our genes kind of decide how we do that. From a percentage standpoint, genetics, our genes make up about 25% of how we age. In other words, our genes, what we're born with, regulate our aging by, that's, it's about 25% of the regulation. The other 75%, most of that is the epigenome. Remember, the epigenome is regulated by our behaviors, our environment, the things that we do, the things that we eat, how we exercise and how we move, all of that good stuff. What I'm saying is, you are not your genes. You are your genes, of course. You have blue eyes. You're not going to change that by eating an apple versus a pear. You're, I'm 5'10". I'm not going to get taller because I start eating carrots. I wish that were the case. I've tried for years. All I do is turn orange when that happens. I don't want to be any more orange. I just want to be taller. But that's not going to happen. Outside of those facts, how you age, not regulated primarily by the genes that you have. They can be detrimental if you behave a certain way or you're in an environment, uh, in a certain environment. Uh, let me give you an example of this. So I think we all know what Alzheimer's disease is. Alzheimer's disease is the most, uh, it's the highest level of dementia. So there's, there's like mild dementia, there's mild cognitive impairment, there's moderate cognitive impairment. I forget all the levels. Anyway, on the, on the far end of that is Alzheimer's. And when you get Alzheimer's, basically it is, it deteriorates your mind, body in a bunch of different ways. 
There are genes that, uh, I don't want to say regulate, that are linked to the, a person's likelihood of developing Alzheimer's or not. The gene sequence is called the APO gene. I forget exactly what it stands for. Um, so there's, there's APOE, and, and again, please forgive me um, when I'm not, if I'm not saying this correctly. There's APOE1, APOE2, APOE3, and APOE4. I'm not 100% sure if it goes down to 1, but I'm pr pretty sure that there's APOE2, APOE3, APOE4. So nonetheless, if you have two sets, if you have an two APOE4 genes, your likelihood of developing Alzheimer's is pretty high. I have one APOE4 gene and one APOE3 gene. So my likelihood of developing Alzheimer's is like, I think it's like 25% higher than the average person, which is pretty high. But just because I have an APOE4 gene, doesn't mean I'm going to get Alzheimer's. What's going to dictate that is how I treat my body. If I treat my body in such a way that it expresses itself because the epigenome tells it to express, then I'm going to develop Alzheimer's. Otherwise, I, it, is, it is simply known that I have that and I have that ability to potentially develop Alzheimer's and my likelihood is a little higher, but it is only higher based on how, based on my behaviors and based on my environment. So I know that I can regulate my behaviors and environment. I can't regulate the gene. So all that I can do is treat myself differently so that I reduce the likelihood of developing Alzheimer's. So that's a basic example of what that looks like and how that impacts how genetics versus epigenetics impacts our outcome. So the next question is, how do we start to influence our biological aging? In other words, how do we start to shift our bi biological aging so that we don't go down this path that we think that we're going to go down? Well, there are some no-brainers, and then there are a couple of things that are worth pointing out that aren't normally pointed out. The no-brainers, of course, are nourishment and movement, how you, what you eat, how you hydrate yourself. Those are definitely going to affect your biological aging. They're going to change how um, basically the nutrients that you take in will change how your body ages over time and whether or not you're moving changes how your body aging ages over time. I think most of us understand that to a degree. A lot of us get into those kinds of things because we want to lose weight or we want to whatever, look better in a bathing suit. But it's important to know that how you eat and how you exercise also greatly impact your the aging process. Sorry, I have to check my watch real quick because we're interviewing somebody after this one and I got to make sure that we get this done. Anyway, environmental toxins are something that are not regularly talked about. You've probably heard about environmental toxins. I'm sure you've maybe heard news about them. Um, but environmental toxins 
play a big part in how you age. So there are naturally occurring environmental toxins. Some of those are lead and radon, cadmium, formaldehyde. If you buy a new house, it's generally good to get it tested for lead. We, we don't use lead paint anymore because we know how harmful it is to us. That's an environmental toxin. Um, Man-made environmental toxins are things like BPA, um, phthalates, which is a very weird word, and pesticides, which we'll see in a second how those man-made toxins um, become detrimental to our biological aging. So the main culprits when it comes to these environmental toxins, they're called endocrine disrupting chemicals. They're named as such because the endocrine system or the hormonal system, they basically mimic estrogen in the body, which affects immune, uh, your immune system function, affects your neurological function, and affects your biological function. These endocrine disrupting chemicals are found in things like plastic, cosmetics, detergents, and of course we have pesticides that um, are endocrine disruptors as well. BPA, we've, you see BPA plastics everywhere. It is important to use BPA-free plastics. Uh, phthalates, that is P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S. Like I said, a weird word to say. Um, those are things that are usually found in chemicals and uh, detergents. I mean, not chemicals, cosmetics and detergents and things like that. Um, and then, like I said, pesticides. So it's important to reduce your exposure to things like this to help reduce your biological or slow down biological aging. The more you can reduce your exposure to these things, the better off it's going to be. The problem is they accumulate over time. You, if you use cosmetics, you use, of course we use shampoos, soaps, uh, laundry detergent, all these things start to accumulate over time. And if it's just one thing, it's no big deal. But if you have 25 different things that you use regularly that have some of these endocrine disruptors in them, then it becomes an issue. So what you can do to reduce your exposure, um, number one, this is probably the most, not, not the most important thing, but very important, do not store hot food in plastic. Do not store hot food in plastic. Do not warm up food in plastic. Um, and if you can, avoid drinking out of plastic water bottles and especially drinking out of plastic water bottles that have been hot. So why? That plastic, even though it may be a BPA-free BPA plastic, doesn't mean that it does not still have some form of endocrine disruptor in it. When it's hot, it leaches into the food or into the water. When that happens, you eat it. So we don't want that to happen. We want to reduce that as much as possible. So store hot food in glass, um, warm up food only on glass or in glass, and then only drink out of metal or glass um, containers if you can. That's going to help tremendously. Uh, you can also avoid products made with phthalates. The word phthalate is very rarely seen on an ingredient list. There, it's normally disguised as fragrance. If you see fragrance on an ingredient list, it's potentially a phthalate, and that is an endocrine disruptor. So if you can avoid that, that is another way to reduce your exposure to these environmental toxins.
along with environmental toxins, we're almost there, along with environmental toxins are electromagnetic fields, or EMFs. EMFs have been around for a long time. The research behind how they affect our bodies has not been around quite as long. EMFs are a form of ra uh, radiation that's created when electricity flows either through a wire or uh, a wireless signal is transmitted. So anytime you plug something in, that flow is creating EMFs, and your phone creates EMFs, and this laptop creates EMFs, and a wireless router creates EMFs by the signal that they're putting out, or through the signal that they're putting out to a degree. So our EMF exposure has increased substantially over the last two decades, last 20 years. Up until then, there weren't many wireless things, and it was just stuff that we plugged into the wall. But now there's lots of wireless things, and so our EMF exposure is high. The reason this is important is because EMFs are classified as Group 2B carcinogenics. That basically means that they are probably carcinogenic to human beings. Again, at a low level of exposure, not a big deal, but because we are surrounded by wireless things, it becomes a big deal. So a couple of ways that you can reduce your exposure to EMFs. Um, well, quickly, how do EMFs affect the body? EMF, EMFs affect the body um, because the body releases things called heat shock proteins in response to cellular stretch. Heat shock proteins are actually very uh, useful to the body whenever you are heat exposed, your body releases heat shock proteins to help you adapt to the heat. But it also releases these heat, heat shock proteins in response to cellular uh, stress to help repair a cell. With EMF or EMF exposure, EMF exposure damages cells to a degree and causes the body to release heat shock proteins. And to a certain level, the body can't release enough heat shock proteins to repair cell damage. Therefore, cells start to dysfunction and start to die. So while this is not a definitive research-based, like definitely this happens, there's plenty of research has shown that it happens. Um, and of course, there's research that has shown that it doesn't happen. But I think it's always better to err on the side of caution and reduce your EMF exposure if you can. One way that you can do that is don't keep your phone on your body and definitely don't keep it near any major organs. So next to your heart, next to your lungs, next to your reproductive organs um, or any other major organ in the body. If you do keep it on the body, keep it either maybe in your back pocket or if you're a girl and you have those side pockets on your tights, keep it down there. Um, that way it's not next to something uh, that's potentially, not potentially, something that's keeping you alive. If your heart keeps you alive, you keep that phone on your heart, it will change the structure of your heart. There's no doubt about it. You put a phone next to your head, which all of us do, you put a phone next to your head, it's going to change the structure of your brain. There's no doubt about it. So um, don't keep the phone on your body. And when you talk on the phone, don't put it up to your ear, talk uh, on speaker phone. So that's one simple way. Another way that you can reduce your EMF exposure is by not being in a room with your wireless router, putting your wireless router in a room where you don't visit regularly 
and unplugging your wireless router at night. That's also very helpful. Um, okay, we went over a lot today. Uh, this was a, I'll say, not a new topic for me, but definitely one that I have not expressed outwardly often. So uh, thank you for being patient with me as I work through this. If I said anything offhandedly, please let me know that I said it incorrectly or whatever. Um, but just to quickly go over what we just reviewed and then ask some questions and then we'll wrap it up. So human cells basically define what we look like and how we age. They're regulated by the genome and the epigenome. There are three aging theories, the free radical theory, the DNA damage theory, and the information or epigenetic theory of aging. Um, those three theories probably all are playing a role in some way, shape, or form, but the question is what's the major thing that we can do about any of this? And the major outlook is that we can regulate the epigenome, if you will, or what the epigenome tells the genome to do, what your epigenetics tell your genetics to do. We can regulate that. And because we can regulate that, we can do some things about it. We can eat well, we can move well, we can exercise and do those things. Also, we can reduce our environmental toxins and we can reduce our EMF exposure. So with that, a couple of questions to think about. How do I think of myself when I think about aging? So when you think about your age, how do you think about yourself? I'm 38 years old. When I think about my age, I probably think a lot differently than most people. I luckily have the unique good fortune of working with a bunch of people who are older than me by at least 20 years for a lot of them, most of them probably. Um, and because of that, I have a different perspective than a lot of people. So I'm grateful for that. But how do you think about your age when you think about your age? Another question, what can I do to decrease the environmental toxins in my life? We talked about uh, fragrances and reducing fragrances. We also talked about the containers. That's a big one, plastic containers, big, big, big one. And then how can I reduce my EMF exposure? This is something that I don't think a lot of people think about, but it's definitely worth thinking about. Um, if you keep your cell phone on or near your body, especially near any ma major organs, it's worth changing where you keep that phone. And then also your wireless router. That's worth thinking about as well, how close you are to that. At any rate, a lot of information today. Thank you for plugging through it with me. Make sure that you share. Make sure that you share with your friends so that they can get the good news too. And until next time, my friends, here's to your success in health and fitness mastery.